0: You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks
1: and Zach Bechtold. And we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, we have the Reverend Violet Joniker. She is the pastor at Brook Road United Methodist Church in Rockford, Illinois. Violet, thanks for being with us today. Could you, uh, would you tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourself? You know, who you are, where you're from, how you got there, the thing, cool things you're doing.
2: Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, I really love your guys' podcast, so it's it's an honor. Um, so I have been serving at Rook Road United Methodist Church for the last two years. This is my third year. Uh, before that, I was in Chicago doing a couple um, graduate programs. I did regular seminary, which was an amazing experience to get to talk with thoughtful people doing ministry about what God is calling us to do in this time and in this place, Um, And at the same time I was doing that, I was also doing a public policy program, because I really believe that if Jesus would have had such a program, he would have been all about economic justice studies and public policy, because so much of my reading of scripture is that he was calling us to systemic change and not um, just like be polite and nice to each other. Uh, So that's what I was doing before I um, got out here to Rockford. So that really is influencing my ministry now. Originally, I'm from a town called Waukegan, Illinois, which is comparable to Rockford, both like, you know, 100,000 population, um, formerly large industrial towns. So like Rockford here is about 150,000. Used to be like a really booming industrial place, especially in like 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, Like a lot of communities in what is called sometimes the Rust Belt, not maybe the most loving name for us Midwestern communities that um, experienced huge job loss and industrial decline in the 70s and 80s. Um, The neighborhood around my church has lots of empty boarded up factories where uh, people used to work and it used to be such an economic lifeline here. So Rockford, like many communities in the Midwest, is still working to recover from that. And so it's been just so interesting to think about how uh, churches and people of faith can be part of that conversation around community and economic development. So that's, that's kind of the, the field I was in before I went to seminary was, was doing that um, uh, business support and um, revitalization of downtowns. So I, I never would have thought that that could be relevant in ministry, but it's turning out to have some really practical uses here.
1: Uh, that's that's how, I, I love that work. Um, I serve um, I'm in Wyoming right now is in Montana. I've served mostly rural uh, communities and uh, and lived in mostly rural communities and we're the the farming and ranch community is is seeing much of the same thing right now that you all have seen in the Midwest in the last 30, 40 years of that that economic change where farms are getting bigger, farmers are getting smaller. And what do you, what do you do? There's, uh, we're missing the family farm and, and uh, all of the resources and things that go with that. Um, I just came from a community in Montana that, you know, 25, 30 years ago had two grocery stores and uh, three or four car lots. And now they have one grocery store and, None of that, you know. So it's it's interesting those shifts that that happen, and that's important work to do. And you're absolutely right that it it flows right into what we do in the church, um, because it all all is centered around the people that we're working with and and what they're experiencing and going through.
2: Yeah, you know, and when you're talking about uh, decline in grocery stores, that's that's um, true both in rural communities and in urban areas. So there's uh, been a lot of studies out recently that have shown that increasingly places that used to have grocery grocery stores and locally sourced food um, now have just the dollar general or the dollar tree and the frozen and prepackaged foods available. And so there's incredible work happening in the, um, the fields of sociology and public policy around this. And there are bright lights where um, people of faith and churches are working on this too. But I just always think about what it would look like if the church were leading on some of these issues instead of maybe coming a little late to the party once some of these things have reached crisis level. So like an example of what we're talking about in Rockford right now, um, I was just having some conversation with the mayor and some other clergy yesterday, Rockford, like many other areas across the country, is anticipating um, a crisis of evictions, foreclosures, and homelessness as a result of people being unable to pay their bills through the coronavirus. So, I've been working on this huge list um, with bankers and finance people of all of the resource programs that are available in our region about how people can apply for aid to prevent themselves from um, becoming homeless because churches are. Often, so equipped to do what I would call like service ministry or mercy ministries, and we're not as always well equipped or familiar with doing this sort of justice and advocacy ministries. But I don't see those as contradictory or um, something that you can do one without the other, right? So, like sometimes I've been accused of like trying to get churches to stop working at soup kitchens, and that's not what I'm about at all. But I do really want churches to have conversations about why are people hungry in our community in the first place? And what could we be doing to be showing up at city council meetings to be advocating for affordable housing? Because we're not gonna have a charity solution to any of our social problems or we would have done it already because the church has been doing charity for thousands of years. So I'm, I'm just really interested in like the thinkers and theologians and um, pastors right now who are finding ways to help their congregations and their communities connect with uh, justice work, which I see as as building on service work. I've, I've joked before that I think service work can be the gateway drug to justice work. And what I mean is, like, if you're sitting and listening and hearing people's stories, hopefully that will inspire us to ask some questions about, well, gosh, why does the system work that way and why is it that if you had that one big medical bill you could end up homeless or if you have this one experience you're not able to a- apply for jobs in our community so I'm, I've been encouraged to see many more churches doing that um, and I, I hope I can be a part of encouraging churches in my community to follow suit.
1: And I love that, that you're using the service work we're already doing or hopefully already doing as a springboard to answering the bigger question, right? Like, why is this happening? We know or have identified we have hungry people or homeless uh, people or people on the verge of those things because of economic situations or whatever's going on in our communities, but yet we're not asking those bigger questions We're just you know, feeding them and, and making sure they catch them up on the utilities or whatever. But we, we're we not using that service work into the springboard of justice to say, why do we have hungry children in our community? What do we do? You know, there's a bigger problem here. And how do we work with the schools or the local agencies uh, to go, how do we feed our kids? You know, and and not only how do we feed them, but how do we make sure this doesn't continue to happen? Um, I don't think we asked that question enough. Uh, I think we just, I think we're doing the service, we're doing the work, and, and people are happy, and and we leave it at that. Um, and, and I don't know that that's ever been good enough, but it's certainly proving to not be enough now.
2: Exactly. And one of the most powerful like visualizations I've ever seen of this, I'll try to explain it without drawing it for you. Um, I was at a, a youth retreat um, run by some Cool Methodists. My calling is not youth ministry, but many amazing people are called to that. Um, but it was this awesome exercise where we had all these junior high kids um, from different regions, and we were we were trying to talk about social justice, right, and to try to get kids to understand how that's a huge part of our tradition, not only as Methodists, but as Christians and as people of faith who believe that God wants for people to experience love and joy and peace and hope and all those good things. Um And so the exercise uh, had us make a list of all of the different programs that our churches had. So you would list out, um, you know, like, oh, we have this meal program and we have this uh, reading and tutoring program and, you know, whatever, whatever all the different churches did. And kids always know the answers to those. Lots of times they volunteered at them themselves. And then we made another list of um, all of the problems in our community. And the way it was visualized was so cool because it was drawn onto a tree. And so when we figured out what the root causes of the problem were, you drew it on sort of the root of a tree. And then what we had to do was match up the programs that we did with the root causes of these problems. And so what the facilitators helped us see was that we were getting at sort of the symptoms of these problems, right? Which we talked about as the leaves on the tree, but almost none of the churches had programs or initiatives or even regular prayer about the issues that are the root causes. And so that's that's a lot of the writing that I've done and like research that I've done since grad school is to talk about how churches can get at the root causes of some of these problems instead of just waiting for more people to experience homelessness and then Trying to fundraise for another shelter there. Like, what would it look like if a group of people from Rockford, you know, during COVID, we do everything online. So maybe we have a Zoom meeting with our legislators in Springfield, Illinois, the capital here, and said, This crisis is really serious in Rockford. People of faith are not going to let any of these programs end. Right now, we have an eviction moratorium for a few more weeks, and we could pressure our governor to continue it, or we could pressure for um, additional rent relief programs. And I think the more that we can have churches realize that the solution to everything is not another bake sale fundraiser, because we just can't do that on the scale that is needed in our communities. Um, I think that can be actually a really empowering thing to realize that we don't have to charity fundraise our way out of some of these problems. And gosh, what an evangelistic opportunity for people to see that the church is actually doing relevant work in their lives and showing up for them in meaningful ways.
0: I'd served a church in, um, in Norman where I, we were working towards putting together an advocacy team. Um, we had a great community outreach team that worked with all the social services in town. We weren't trying to create anything new. And I think that's one of my issues with, with the church is like we see a need in our community. And so we want to start something new, versus like there's like 50 other organizations they're doing amazing work and like let's just partner with them like and so this church had it right they did a really good job of doing that they partnered with all these great organizations they're doing amazing work across the board um and so like the next question i kept asking is like so what do we want to do next like what would be the next thing for our community outreach team and so like the idea of advocacy came out and i was like oh that's not a bad idea like let's explore that and so like the hard part is we were in the process of putting that together and then I got moved. (laughs) Um, And so I haven't really been in a place where I haven't been in a place where, um, I can take that next step. And like, um, some of it's just getting people to see what's going on in our community and connecting them in and saying like, these are things that, you know, like everybody wants to help in some way, shape or form. But like the next question is like, how? And so like, I think you're right by identifying what the issue is and saying like, here's ways that we can attack this issue and come at this issue. Um, and then creating space for like people to come along and saying like, you can be a part of this team and, and make it a team. And it's not just like three people um, that are doing it. Cause that's usually how it works in the church. Isn't it? Like three people do all the work, but like encouraging people like, Hey, you know um, like, you know, every community is dealing with, the um, issue of homelessness in some way, shape or form, like, Hey, let's write our senators about like, Hey, here's how this, th- this is the, the cause of it. And like in my community, we're a drop-off point for a lot of the other communities. And what I mean by that is that like peace officers will literally drop off people in our community because we're the larger community in the area. And we actually have the most resources to help. Um, although as resources have dwindled in churches and those communities, that's gone, you know, like that's not there anymore. And so we're having to deal with that. And one of the questions I keep asking is like, what are some policies we have in place to keep other towns from dropping us off? You know, like, what are some ways we're asking them not to do that? And so, um, I always find that interesting. Like, and I love the way that you're trying to connect people to the real issue versus just like hey let's raise money for the food pantry this week or um, well
2: I it's a lot harder though right and i just i just want to yeah. highlight a couple of really important things you said there is that like this work can never depend on the passions of a pastor because uh pastors move around and so if we're not supporting our folks in uh issues that they specifically care about and are connected to these anything we do is going to evaporate as soon as we leave so like I care a ton about like mental health justice. And so when I got here, I was like, blah, 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 mental health. Let's go do all these programs. Let's go work with all these organizations that are doing that in town. And while that's important to the people of my congregation, and while I know that um, it has touched lives of people here and we've prayed about it and talked about it and worked to break down stigma about it... um, That is not the issue that is driving people to show up to programs. And that's not the thing that they're donating to and what they're going to do. So that was like a letting go moment for me to be like, oh, I don't just get to pick what we do. I have to follow the way that the spirit is working among this congregation and in this community. And I can't come in with my like predetermined ideas of what I want to do. And the, the other thing I hear you mentioning too, is that there are always organizations already working on this stuff, right? And I feel like churches have this arrogance sometimes that we're like, ah, we are here to solve your problems." especially white churches, if I can just go ahead and name that. Um, There are almost always organizations in our own community or at the very least in our county and in our state who are doing this stuff uh, better with more credibility and for longer than we could possibly have ever figured out. So the very first thing we got to do is go sit at their feet and learn for a while and say like, hey, we're a little late to the party, um, but we care a lot about this. We're going to pray for you. We want to support you however we can. What, what do you need? Um, I remember my undergrad's in nonprofit management. And I remember one of the professors telling us that the dumbest thing we could ever do is go show up somewhere and tell people we've figured out how to solve their problem. There are so many stories of this going very poorly and churches have this like additional complex of like, also, we're going to uncomfortably force Jesus on you um, as a condition of, of how we do this work. So like, gosh, what a humbling thing um, for church folks to realize we don't know everything. And then to show up and sit with people who have been doing the work. And then we have to keep showing up, right? Like this can't just be like a Lenten campaign and for 40 days we go listen and then we're gone and we're back onto our whatever internal thing we're doing. So learning from folks who are already doing the work is extremely important. Um, and if I can, I want to just tell you really quick about a project that I'm working on um, in Northern Illinois here. So I've put together this um study group that's going to be like a a 12-week curriculum. We're doing everything on Zoom, of course. Thank you, technology. Um, And I just like, just to name it too, we have a lot of folks who aren't um, connected to internet and technology. So I really appreciate that Zoom lets you call in on the phone. So that's that's like really helped us to stay connected with a lot of our really faithful folks at a lot of congregations. But the project is a 12-week study. And I'm calling it transform the world question mark because our United Methodist mission statement is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I've started to think of it not as like a sentence, but as a circle. And what I mean by that is we're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ so that we can transform the world. But what I really believe is that when we do world transforming work that's going to inspire people to learn about why we're doing that to learn about the god we serve to learn about this jesus and these prophets who have been calling us to do this stuff for so long and so i see transforming the world as a way to make disciples of jesus christ and then you get some more people then you can transform the world some more and so this is it's cyclical and at least in our area Lord knows our churches need any kind of evangelism we could be out there doing. And so if we can use public policy advocacy as a way um, to introduce people to Jesus, the radical and the revolutionary, that can be really healthy for our churches. Um, That can be really incredible for people who have never heard that version of God and Jesus, who have heard maybe a different version on television. I'll try to leave politics out of it. But it tends to be the folks who have the microphone talking about Christianity are not telling the story of Jesus the way that I learned it, the, the way that I have heard about it in seminary. And so this project is going to be a study group over three months where we learn about the Methodist history of, um, organizing and advocacy and sometimes agitational organizing. Like people don't know this, but like Harry Ward was a United Methodist pastor from Northern Illinois who went on to found the freaking ACLU. And so like Methodists have been doing like labor organizing and policy work and incredible stuff. It even just in Northern Illinois, where I've been researching it for years, but across the country, around the world. Um, people don't know about the general board of church and society, which is like the policy advocacy arm of our denomination. Um, I actually interned there when I was an undergrad in D.C. And my very first project was working on an interreligious sign on letter calling on Congress to reduce the racist sentencing disparity between crack and cocaine. And I was like, pastors are doing this like that was right. evangelism for me because I got mm-hmm. to go back to my college friends, my secular friends and say, like, hey, um, My people are working with other religious leaders to do policy advocacy that is way more powerful than what we're doing as like single issue people or um, not building broad based coalitions. So anyway, the long and short of it is this this study group is going to try to get um, folks in their local communities to choose an issue that's important to them and then to show up at or watch a city council meeting to show up at or watch a school board meeting, to show up at or watch a county board meeting, or whatever the local equivalents are in their communities. It's amazing to me how few people like have the email address and cell phone number of their elected officials. Um, That's one of the first things I got here, I did when I got here was I called everyone and got my state rep and everybody to come to the church and walk around the neighborhood with me and talk about it. And that was what was so cool about being in Rockford instead of Chicago. Is like, Your alderman's not going to show up at your church in Chicago, but but here they do, and so I like walked around the neighborhood with my alderman, and I was like, all right, this vacant property has this problem, this road has this problem. Why aren't there sidewalks over here? And then when um, the budget comes up, I look at when that's coming. I send in my list of requests, and it's a little bit of a squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Like if if churches aren't squeaking, who's gonna who's gonna come help them? And I just I'm just so persuaded that like most of our social problems are not going to be solved by charity. Like some of the immediate crisis can maybe be relieved that way, but I think it's a deeply faithful thing to understand that God is calling us to work on a, on a deeper level. So I'm really excited, um, over the next few months to be talking with other local churches about how they can do this. And my end goal is for them to all tell me at the end, like what new connections they made, right? Like, Who in your community is working on those organizations and what was it like to introduce them to your church? What was their reaction when you said you were a church person and uh, that was what was why you were doing this? I want them to write letters to the editor. I want them to like do public evangelism. And I just there are some I I don't mean no churches do this, but it is just like blowing my mind how few churches have been strategic and thoughtful about this to strengthen community. Connections. So I just, I'm, I'm trying to collect stories of that. Maybe you all know some that, that you can tell me to look more into.
1: Well, I, and that's, that's, I, I don't know, I've served all over the, the Southwest. And there's that consistent theme of churches going, well, people will come to us.
2: Ah, right? if only.
1: If only, right? And uh, that that's the cycle that we're that you're working to try to break here is, hey, quit trying to come to us, we're going to come to you. And not only are we going to come to you, we're going to learn about you and get to know you and love you. And if you come to us, great. If not, great. You know, sure. it doesn't matter. Um, but there has been or is a such a disconnect with our churches, just general, uh, in our communities that nobody uh, or very few are walking through their neighborhoods going What's going on here? What's going on here? Um, I mean, if you when you when you do this uh, transform the world question mark for me, it, if it were me, I think the first question I would ask of is, is your church in a neighborhood? Do you know that neighbor yeah. that looks at your front door? Right. Do you know who they are? Do you know their name? <laughs> or do you just wave? Or do you completely ignore them when you walk in the church? What is it, right? And um, this idea that people, just because we have a building and we have a church sign on it and we look, maybe if we even look inviting, right? Um, people aren't going to just come, <laughs> Uh, and even if that's, shouldn't even be our end goal, but how are we as the church engaging our community, going and asking the questions, walking around and seeing and meeting people, calling our officials and just saying, Hey, we're here and we want to be here with you. What can we do? Uh, but I think so often the church falls in the trap of, we just want to do the bake sale. We just want to raise the money so that we can throw it over here. And not actually have to deal with the systemic problem that's going on in our community, because that's hard, and it makes us uncomfortable. and um, uh, Or we're just uh, ignorant to it, that we think, well, we threw some money at it, and it's going to be okay. Um, we did our part. Um, and like, no, 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 there's a partnership here. Uh, there's some relationship building here. There's some more things we can do uh, that don't involve money, that actually involve effort and passion and blood, sweat, and tears to actually create change uh, for the people around us.
0: Well, and that's what I found past, like in our church this year, one of the things that we we were looking at our mission vision statement and one of the questions like, so what's something we could change about this that would really focus us? And somebody um, in their congregation is like, Well, I'm all for transformation of the world, but I can't transform the world until I transform myself into being more like Jesus. And so we need to add transformation to ourselves and the world. And after she said that, like it's really got me thinking about what we're doing and how are we asking people to be transformed and asking people how are they, um, what are like, what breaks their heart? And I think that now one quote, I think Violet, did we lose you? I think we lost Violet. I lose everybody okay no, oh, no.
1: she's there she blinked okay. we're good okay, okay good <laughs> uh, she, she was so intent
0: um and so I was, I was a little bit worried um but, oh no the Zumba got her she got Zumba or did I get Zumba
1: you're good I'm just oh, muted
0: okay I think she got Zumba
1: I think so too I'm closing things out just to maybe help the connection. So,
0: yeah, she got zoom She's trying something. She sent okay. us a message. I see. I get to edit this. Yay! Editing. <laughs> Sorry, guys.
1: No, it's fine. No, you're good.
0: One um, and about church, a- internet one in about a hundred uh, <laughs> times do I actually have to edit things. And so I just get to edit this. And so that'd be fun. Sorry, I'll make a note. Yeah, no are Okay. Fine. So I heard
2: you saying the thing about, um, she was saying she needed to transform herself before she could transform the world. And then I didn't hear the end of it. Sorry. Okay.
0: So, so she, you know, she brought up the idea of transformation of self um, to transform the world. And so like, I always think of that now in quote, and I, and I can't, like, I don't have it verbatim, but like, you know, what breaks your heart, kind of what breaks your heart, you know, how are you going to attend to that? And so like, I've been asking that question, like, what are some things that motivate you all to do? And luckily for me, and one of the things that is passionate for me and things I do in every community I've ever been in, because this is definitely a huge need is education and working with the schools, working with the schools, not trying to create anything else that adds more to their plate or adds more to my plate, but working within the systems that they have to better their systems. And so like our school has a, our high school has a really great little food pantry. I mean, it's about the size of my office and we make sure that their needs are met and, and, and all the things that we're able to do. And, and, you know, some of it we know is systemic and we've got to work towards, better funding it in Oklahoma because that's something we are definitely not great at is funding our schools Uh, most places aren't anyway but I mean Oklahoma is like one of we are definitely the bottom 10 on that and so like I think that's something that most people can buy into because they want to make sure that kids are getting better educated and so like we've done a lot here over the year uh over the last two years of really trying to connect in the schools and finding ways to help them? Because we know if we can strengthen our schools, that's only going to strengthen, it, it's reciprocal. So it strengthens the community, it strengthens everything else. And and so like the, the thing, I guess, in thinking about like our conversation is like, what are some ways you're bringing people along with you to help them be transformed?
2: Yeah, that's such a good way to put it. I, I, I think just um, we have a lot of work to do in pushing back on this cultural idea that there's some like level of perfection that we're going to reach and then we can go do all the world changing work. Um, But that's like, that's like deeply out there, right? Is that none of us are quite good enough or quite smart enough or understand um, the way policy works enough to go out there and do it. So we're just going to leave it to the other folks. So one of the ideas that I've tried to introduce, and I'm not sure I've got a ton of buy-in, but I'm really positive that there is no such thing as neutral and church folks have been sold a bag of lies that we can sit back and not get involved. And that's neutral and it's not controversial and we don't have to do anything, but like as many famous activists, said, I think it was Desmond Tutu who said it this way, like to be neutral in situations of injustice is to be on the side of the oppressor. And so what I say to my folks is like, if we don't do anything, the message we're sending to our community is that we're okay with the harm that's being caused right now. And so kind of what Zach was talking about is like, you know, we have this tendency toward money solutions, and we think that that's not controversial because we don't have to wade into the questions of, um, you know, are we going to get involved on this side or that side of the politics of something? But even when we're giving money, we're somehow supporting policies that are out there. Like a a thing that's a little bit popular out in this area is to do like fundraisers of like personal products for people who are incarcerated. And so we're basically like donating to the jails, which is one of the most insane things I can think of. I understand why it happens because people have urgent need for whatever it is soap, feminine hygiene products, all different kinds of things. But what we need to be doing is at the same time we're doing that is standing outside saying this is absurd that you are taking our tax dollars and then not providing our brothers and sisters and siblings with basic hygiene as we have decided to care for them. Like the, the way that sometimes prison ministry happens in a quote unquote non-controversial way, in a neutral way, is actively political. And I think what we can do is name that again and again is that like whatever we're doing or not doing is a political choice and a political statement and that makes folks uncomfortable though right like my folks have been made uncomfortable by being accused of being political and on the side of harm being caused because we're not speaking out against it and I think that idea right now is is pretty challenging and so to bring that alongside some of these specific issues about you know are we out there at the Black Lives Matter uh, protests? Are, are we out there at um, what, the, what the NAACP in Rockford is, is supporting? How are we putting our prayer into action? Um, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of prayer and, right? Like prayer is really important to me and I believe in the power of it, but prayer and showing up, is what Jesus did. You know, prayer and speaking out publicly is what the prophets did. And so I think the more that we can encourage our folks um, to be more introspective and say that maybe some of the things that we've internalized as normative in the Christian tradition are actually from society and not from... jesus and so it's it's hard to challenge ourselves that way but i think that's a really important starting point is to realize that we're actually not being neutral
1: i really really love that idea of not being neutral because you're right there's no there's no such thing right you're either you're either standing up for something and someone or standing up with some some someone or you're you're not yeah, uh, you're uh, we have seen so much in the last few years um we've been, been given way too many examples of of silence and complacency is just as harmful right um if not more so because um, if we we as pastors and as people can't speak out against racism it, it we as white people sitting in this room can't speak out of, against racism and the racist acts they're having in our country and the world right now. If we're just silent, we're silent. And, and yeah, we're not neutral.
2: You, right. You may have seen the protest sign. That's pretty popular. Not a place I actually put it up on the screens during one of my anti-racism sermons back in January. Um, the sign says white silence is violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that was sort of jarring for some of my folks who were like, no, 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 I'm I'm staying out of it. I'm uh, not being political. You know, that whole separation of church and state thing, which is one mm-hmm. of the most misinterpreted phrases on the planet, does not mean what they think it means. Um, but white silence is violence. And so how, in racism, right? And so like, how else can we think of Christian silence as being violence for uh, migrant families who are in cages mm-hmm. on the border? How can we think about, Um, Christian silence as violence when we know that there is an eviction and foreclosure crisis coming, and the homeless population is going to explode in this country if we don't intervene and pressure our elected officials to put policies in place that are going to be meaningful. And so that's like, that's a really challenging and hard idea for a lot of folks that we are being violent, that we are sinning, that we are causing harm by doing something that maybe previous pastors and previous churches and generations of faithful Christians have thought was like the right thing or the polite thing or even maybe thought it was the Christian thing to do. It's hard to work against a long long, long narrative telling that lie.
1: Yeah. And and for so for so long, right? And even still today it's Pastor, you can't you can't talk about that. That's you're being political today. It's like, not really. Just living into the gospel, right? Just okay, living but into gonna, the things you I'm Jesus gonna said. claim
2: that. I'm gonna be yeah. like Hell yeah, I'm being
1: political (laughs) because Jesus
2: was too. Do you know that the story of Easter is Jesus being resurrected from Mm -hmm. the dead because he was crucified for being too political? He was a Mm -hmm. political threat with political ideologies that caused harm to the people in power. And so they thought they could eliminate him as a threat. But the amazing news of the gospel is you cannot eliminate God and God's vision for the kingdom as a threat to the order of the way things are right now like in the end we win i don't even i don't even know why people are hesitant to work on the team that we know wins like it's 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 not a question it is a wholly settled matter and i understand it's going to be uncomfortable in the meantime but it's not like gee i wonder if we win in the end it's 100% the vision of jesus is going to be realized so let's speed things up
0: well, and that Burn reminds that. me, that reminds me of when, um, 45 first became president and, um, he, um, uh, like he just, his tweets, his vile tweets. And so I started calling that out from the pulpit and people like, you can't, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I can, because he's not being Christian. And if we say we're a Christian nation, which I don't believe that we are. And I just, I, my body cringes when I hear that and I hear it all the time being in Oklahoma. Um, that, like, if we're not holding in the task about what we feel is presidential, we're going to lose, you know, we're going to lose, we're going to lose our, you know, our focus and where we should be. And obviously, four years later, that actually is now where we're at. And, and so like, that's the thing, like, I think it's great for, for pastors to do that and point that out, like to remind people, like your Easter message doesn't need to be flowery. It needs to be reminding of people like what this was really about and why we're here. Um, I think the, the downside though, that people we've bought into, that the church has bought into, and I, I'd say this is more of a more church recent history than anything else is that Imperial, like bigger is better. And so, like, we're gonna, like, we're not gonna say anything so people won't leave because that, you know, a good church is a big church. And I think that's a lie. I think that's a lie we've told ourselves over the years. I think that's been the downside of the church in the last 60 years is that bigger is better. Um, when the reality is, is like, we are called to build relationships, to build bridges, to do the right thing, to do justice and to walk humbly with our God. And the way that we go about that is sometimes we've got to say hard things. The Bible has hard things in it. Those prophets were not painting flowery pictures. So everybody would feel good about themselves. The book of revelation is not a book to paint a flowery picture of how things are going to be. They're calling churches out to be better. And like, I, I could, go off on that and preach on that for days um and i know all three of us in this room could um and so like i i think a good thing for us to kind of wrap it up as we're bringing to a close to honor your time uh, violet for being with us today Um, i think a good thing is is asking us how are we you know how are we connecting into our community but not just like showing up but like legitimately connecting in like our town just uh, issued a mask mandate, and like I wrote all the city councilmen, asking them like, please um, consider um, you know voting for this. I think it's a good thing for our community. It's the right thing. Only one responded back to me, <laughs> um, and I and I think they're like, thank you for responding back. I'm glad. Um, and and so like um, you know, I think I think challenging our churches to be more involved and not and not just showing up or trying to create a new program. Um, and, and, and thinking that that's going to solve the problem, but the reality of the problem is getting involved and engaged and education. I'm, I'm a real big fan of education, educating yourself and finding out like what's the best way of doing it in, in your community. Cause sometimes you have to learn the game before you can play it. And and that takes a little bit of time too. Um, and that's something we all have to learn as pastors. Like you'd said in your um, kind of in your beginning, Violet, of recognizing that you weren't going to be able to do what you wanted to do, but seeing what the large, what, what really could happen and being able to do that. It's a great form of ministry is like being able to pivot on as needed. And that's definitely something I know COVID has taught us. Um, and so Violet, do you have any uh, closing words before we wrap it up here?
2: Yeah, I, I think what you just said is really wise. And I've just, I've just been thinking about how even despite the like horror of 2020, um, I am thankful that we do have a religion and a Bible that walks with us through hard times. We don't have the kind of like greeting card, pop culture, nonsense religion um, that says God demands that you be happy all the time. You know, we have we have books of prophets and psalmists calling out to God and saying, this sucks so bad, I hate it. And then at the end of the psalm, they say, but God, I know you're with me. And I have just been taking so much inspiration from all of the times in scripture where God got people through incredibly difficult times because with God's help, we can change the way that things are. We can work with um, the wisdom, like God given wisdom from our public health officials and people working on a vaccine and doing all kinds of great stuff. We can be supportive of that. We can preach about that. Um, we can work with the, holy spirit filled activists who are calling us out into the streets who are being jesus when we the church need to be seeing jesus and so i just i actually feel a lot of hope you know i feel like this is a season where if the church is willing to step up and be brave and denounce the lies of neutrality and the idea that we can somehow just um be uninvolved. If we can call that lie out and say that we're going to be different that we really are going to make disciples of the radical Jesus Christ for radical transformation of the world. I just I think it's an amazing time to be alive. Like to to get to try to be doing this work with God and um with other people following God. I mean just what a time. I I just I it's hard. It's frustrating. I'm sad a lot of the time. Um but We're still called, you know. We've we've still got this work to do, and and like I said, it's not a question of who wins. We've just got to buckle down and and do the work.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Our calling by God is not to be happy all the time, right? Right. That's not. It's not sunshines and rainbows. This following God thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's getting out and and getting dirty and just being in the muck and mire of this world, um, and sad. It's hard work. And if it wasn't, that's not what Christ would have called us to do. You know, um, just freaking loving your neighbor is hard work. And that's why Jesus spends so much time on it. Right. And if, if it wasn't, we wouldn't be called to this work. We'd be called to something different. Uh, we would be called to what is hard and what is pain, painful. And, um, and, and to be in that and to own that be like, you know what, today may suck, but God's here with us. And, uh, we'll, we'll get through it in those ways. We're in good company.
2: Amen.
0: So, um, Bob, we, we thank you for joining us today and know that you always have an invitation, um, to come back. Um, and, uh, thank you for your time. And so, um, for those that are listening, we'd encourage you to go to our website at beardedtheologians.com and check out all of our great content and, um, you know, pick up, um, you know, we actually do have masks now. So just like, I know everybody needs another mask. And so pick up another mask. Um, it, it, you know, it's just another good way to keep you safe uh, during this season. And so um, for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks.
1: I'm Zach Bechtold Thanks for checking us out.
2: I want you to subscribe and like this video.